Hello, my lovely people, and welcome to The Fletcher Files, a Murder, She Wrote podcast with your host, Monty. (laughs) So this week, we will be talking about School for Scandal, season one, episode four, first aired October 25th, 1985. And the IMDB summary reads, a mother and daughter become involved in a murder. Jessica must look between the lines to discover the truth and the murderer. So this episode, we have two returners. The first one is Morgan Stevens. We first saw him in Hooray for Homicide as Scott Bennett. He was the love interest in the film, right? of the corpse danced at midnight that Jessica was trying to uh, not get produced because it was (laughs) nowhere near what her book was about. Um, But he was the love interest of Eve Crystal. In this episode, he plays Nick Fulton, who is the trashy boyfriend of Daphne Clover. And we'll find out exactly who they are in a moment. The other returner is John Beecher. We first saw him in Footnote to Murder as the optometrist who asked Jessica if her optometrist who gave her the prescription had gotten his degree at the Braille Institute. (laughs) Only because he said that is he getting a shout out here. And so he returns in this episode as the station manager who gives Jessica the runaround. (laughs) Anyway, so let's go over the characters and then we'll get right into it. So we have Dr. Jocelyn Laird. She is the head of the English department for Crenshaw College. We then have Daphne Clover, who is her daughter and also an author. We have Professor Ron Mercer and his wife, Trish Mercer. We have the school president, Henry Hayward, and his wife, Beryl Hayward. We then have Police Chief Griffin. All right, so let's get into it. As I said, we're at Crenshaw College. Okay. And we first meet Professor Mercer. He is reading an excerpt from Daphne Clover's book to his class. Now, I remember in college, maybe one or two classes we actually had outside. Now, I don't know if this was a real thing. I also went to school in the Northeast, so (laughs) not too many days where you could really be sitting outside on the lawn, but... I really thought this was just a TV thing. And like I said, only twice in the four years I was in college did we ever go outside for a class. But yeah, so (laughs) this was definitely um, interesting. What we did learn here is that all of the students know that Daphne Clover, who writes, I'm going to call them romance novels, just to be polite, I'm guessing, and that she is the daughter of the head of the English department, Dr. Laird. We also see three guys. Now, there are women in this class as well. But three guys speak up. 
about their thoughts on the passage and the author in general. And when Professor Mercer is like, well, listen, you know, James Joyce and D.H. Lawrence use very vivid sexual scenes in their books to which these college students said, well, they're real writers. Um, Is that because they're men? Because that's exactly what you're saying. And you're not considering this actual literary work. But what we find out later is that these weren't just trash novels, but they were very descriptive and scenes were set and it was quality literature. It just happened to have a focus on romance. So all three of those guys can kick rocks with no shoes on, to be honest. (laughs) The sexism just just oozed out of that entire situation. And I do not envy the women who were in that class. I know it's for TV, but let's just go with it. (laughs) That they had to listen to these idiots. Anyway, so the next scene, we're at the train station and Jessica has arrived and she's waiting to be picked up. We meet Henry and Beryl, okay, the Haywards. And Jessica is like, I'm just so honored to be getting an honorary degree from a former classmate. So apparently her and Henry used to, went, I'm assuming to college together, but perhaps high school, but most likely college together. And now she's being bestowed an honorary degree from Crenshaw College that he is the president of. Now, Jessica is definitely in good company because back in Lovers and Other Killers, the president of that university was also a good friend of hers and had invited her out uh, to teach a set of, to teach a lecture series. So she definitely has high level connections just from former classmates, not to mention friends, but just people that she went to school with are doing big things. She is also, don't get me wrong, like she's world-renowned mystery writer, but also classmates who are presidents of universities. That's, that's big time. And yet they have a high level respect for her as she has a high level of respect for them, which is the key point here, that they're both respectful of each other. So we also find out here from Henry and Beryl that Jocelyn, the head of the English department, is throwing a party in Jessica's honor uh, this evening. So the next scene, we're at Jocelyn's house and Ron Mercer is there as well as Alger Kenyon. And they're setting up for the party. As they're doing that, We find out that the assistant head of the English department is retiring. So his position is opening up and it appears that Alger has the most seniority. So he is kind of a shoe in for this position based on his seniority. And we find out that he has continued to publish, which is very important in academia. We also see in this scene, this interaction between Jocelyn and Ron, which is going to become important later in how he couches 
what happens later to his wife. Okay, so Jocelyn is pulling down a large punch bowl and Ron comes up behind her and is like, let me help. And he like slowly takes it down while he's like brushed up against her back. And it's a very intimate interaction. So I'm already like, okay, so he is trying to hit on... Now, this is before we meet his wife and find out that he, in fact, has a wife. But uh, Jocelyn is single. So she's single, no strings attached. You know, she can do whatever. However, she shouldn't be doing whatever with a subordinate. Let's just be honest here. Like, he's basically, like, right up on her back. He's being real slow about helping her take that down. And they're just speaking very closely as well for someone who has an entire wife. And I'll say it now, later claims that Jocelyn is the one who initiated uh, a potential sexual favors for this assistant head of the English department position, which does not bear out, at least for me, having now seen this scene. But Jocelyn makes it clear, like, listen, Alger has a seniority. Alger has published. You don't have the seniority and you have never published. It would be impossible for me to explain how I'm promoting you if you've never published in the English department. Okay. You're in all academia, you know, professors are supposed to publish, right? But especially in the English department. Like, I, I just don't understand how he's just like, oh, that's kind of outdated and it's more about teaching the students. Yes, yes. You need to be a quality professor. You need to teach your students about whatever area of English you teach. Yes, that's very important. But if you want to move up in academics, you need to publish. The saying is publish or perish. And that is true. It's 1985. It is true then. It is true now in 2021. So, you know, you want to act like you're hip. I'm like, honestly, you're not that much younger than Jocelyn, to be absolutely honest. Um, But you're not so close in age to these college students that you're on the new wave you know, that you're, oh, this is what's, this is the future. It's actually not. It's actually not. Publish or perish. You're never going to get promoted if you're never going to legitimately get promoted without publishing. It's as simple as that. Why are you fighting the system? Jocelyn's not going to be able to change that. We then hear a knock on the door and it's Daphne, Jocelyn's daughter. Daphne, Jocelyn's like, what? are you doing here? And Daphne's like, yeah, you know, with all of this stuff, because I'm super famous, I wanted to get away to just have some quiet time and write. And so then there's another knock on the door and it's Nick Fulton, her current man friend. Okay. Her current Well, she can't have a side piece. Like her current arm candy, we'll say. She's a beautiful woman, for sure. 
But this guy, I'm like, where'd you find him? And wherever you find him, send him back there because that mustache is super creepy. Like he looks like a dirt bag, just like a straight up dirt bag. <laughs> the only reason she's with him is to piss off her mother, clearly. And to have a really good time. He looks like he, you would have a good time, but you would have to hide your wallet because he's definitely going to take money out of it and probably a credit card too. So yeah, it's not hide your kids, hide your wives. It's hide your, <laughs> hide your jewels, hide your wallet because this man that you're having a good time with in bed is going to take everything. Beware. Anyway, so Daphne says, oh, we'll be staying in the guest house. So you know, have your little party or whatevs, it's fine. So the next scene, it's the actual party at Jocelyn's house and they're just mingling, people are talking. We see Jessica and Jocelyn talking and both of them are fans of each other, right? Which is always great to see. Now, I originally thought that Jocelyn was the friend from college that had you know, nominated her to get an honorary degree. But in fact, it was Henry that her, was her classmate. Jocelyn, she has never met before, but they kind of become fast friends because they're both renowned in the literary world. Once Jocelyn steps away from Jessica, Alger just pops up immediately. <laughs> and we find out that his area within the English department is poetry and that he publishes several articles a year. So he stays booked and busy to make sure that as soon as there's a promotional opportunity, he is the shoe-in for it. But as they're talking, he then becomes distracted when he sees Jocelyn and Ron talking. Now, they weren't standing super close or anything like that. It didn't appear... Um, flirty or inappropriate, right? But Alger is has his back up. Although he is still engaged in the conversation with Jessica, he is full on staring at Jocelyn and Ron and their conversation, which of course he can't hear. But I'm like, wow, you know he's a creeper if he's able to have a full conversation with Jessica while stalking basically <laughs> Jocelyn and Ron I'm like how are you that's a skill that is a skill not a good skill though <laughs> and of course he says that I'm basically guaranteed this assistant head of the English department position because I publish and I have seniority. So I'm not really worried, but it's not official. But, you know, I know that I'll have to take on those additional duties because I'll get that title. Which he's not wrong. He is not wrong, especially after we heard what Jocelyn said to Ron in the previous scene. It, it seems like as soon as the previous person's last day it appears that as soon as the previous person has his last day in the department, the next day it's going to be Alger and there's going to be an announcement. Like, it it just makes sense. So while they're mingling, there's a scream from outside. Everyone runs outside and apparently Nick has pushed Daphne into the pool. Daphne is completely naked. Nick has his shirt off, 
but has on jeans and a belt. I don't know what the shoe situation is for either of them, but I'm guessing neither one has shoes on. Uh, After they see this, uh, Jocelyn's like, yeah, can you just not do this and continue to embarrass me? Please be an adult. Now, honestly, Daphne is probably like 35 years old. She's probably like 22. But honestly, (laughs) honestly, Daphne looks like she's 35 years old and is way too old to be acting like this. And it's all to get her mother's goat. And I'm like, you're going to learn a hard lesson very soon. Okay. This isn't cute. This is disrespectful. And thankfully her mom has created a reputation such that her daughter acting a donkey (laughs) is not going to affect her job or cost her her job. Just... It's not a great look, but it's not going to lose her her job. But it's like, Daphne, you're trying very hard to not only embarrass your mother, but like what self-respect do you have? Clearly none. So everyone goes back inside and it's just like, oh my goodness. We find out from Henry and Beryl that Nick used to be a student there. And they're like, yeah, I wouldn't even go as far as to say he was a student here. Um, we find out later he was there on this, uh, athletic scholarship and whatever happened, he wasn't there for too long. So while they're talking, Daphne and Nick come back in and Daphne is wearing a fur coat. She has nothing on under it. And Nick is going around pouring glasses of champagne While he's off doing that, Daphne goes straight to Jessica and is like, JB, first of all, Jessica is a woman of a certain age. You should not be calling her JB. Okay, that's disrespectful. You should be calling her Mrs. Fletch, Miss Fletcher, Mrs. Fletcher, something like that, because she definitely did not give you permission to call her JB and you're not her contemporary by any means. I don't care how many best-selling novels you have. You're not her contemporary. She is your elder and you should be respectful. But that's impossible for you. While Daphne and Jessica are talking and Jessica's like, oh my goodness, like I've read your books, which Daphne's surprised because they're adult themed. And Jessica's like, you can, Jessica says, you really set up a scene and just, you know, your references to art and color is just so vivid. It's just, it's so well-written. To which Daphne's like, yeah, you know, like my um, manager, whoever she said, um, has gotten me some new art. And I hear pa- I hear Picasso's really hot right now. And Jessica's like, that may be true about his work, but I hear Picasso's dead. <laughs> so it was, a, it was, a cute kind of backhanded compliment from Jessica. I was like, oh, always classy. But we then see on the other side of the room, Nick has his arm around Trish, Ron's wife, and it's kind of like walking away with her and she's trying to get loose. Ron comes up and pulls them apart and Nick then pulls back and punches Ron who falls to the ground. I'm like, honestly, Ron you could have taken Nick. Nick is drunk. And you're telling me that 
you came up behind. Now, honestly and truly, you should just punch him in the back of the head (laughs) and held on to your wife so she didn't fall over with him. But that's just me. Obviously, your wife was uncomfortable. You had to step in for sure. Like you definitely had to step in. I don't know why you weren't prepared to actually fight this man because clearly he was drunk and he was being disruptive and disrespectful. So the fact that you could not figure out that you needed to be ready to actually fight this man once you pulled him away from your wife, I don't understand how you didn't see that. I really don't. I don't know why you were surprised. But at that point, Alger goes up to Daphne and is like, I think you've embarrassed your mother enough. You should leave and take him with you. To which Daphne's like, she realizes it's gone too far, but she still has to play this off as if it's okay and she is on board with this. So she goes over, she gets Nick, and as they're leaving, she turns around and does a curtsy and opens her fur coat to show that she's completely naked underneath and just squeals and runs out. And I'm like, just just a terrible person because I'm like, okay, you can be upset with your mom or whatever. And the worst part, the worst part of why she's terrible in the fact that she's so disrespectful of her mom and is when we find out more about their relationship, it makes her even worse, okay? It makes her, how can she be even worse? We'll find out in a few minutes. The next scene, it's at night after the party. Jocelyn's in her bedroom and she hears voices. So she goes to her French doors and opens it and there is um, an area between the main house and the guest house. So the French doors to the guest house are open and she can see Nick and Daphne arguing. And it's because Nick demanded more money from Daphne. And she's like, I just gave you money last week. He's like, it's not enough. She's like, it's over. Like, you're just using me. He then begins to get violent. He grabs her hair. Like this whole... Now, she doesn't deserve this. Like, no one deserves to be abused. So, you know, regardless of how horrible a person I believe this character is. I don't know this actress. This character, okay? <laughs> Let's get that straight, too. But this is this is hard to see. It's really hard to see. So there, he grabs her hair. They continue to argue. He lets go of her hair. She smacks him. And he then grabs her hair again and smacks her and walks out. And as she, as he's walking out, she says, if you touch me again, I'll kill you. And I'm like, yeah, girl. Yeah. You need to stay away from him because he is a dangerous person. And you cannot convince me that this is the first time that he's been aggressive and or violent with her. You can't convince me that this is the first time. You are literally across the pathway from her mother's room in her house and you're demanding money from her. You then grab her twice and slap her. 
no, she shouldn't have slapped you, but she did grab her hair first and like force a kiss on her. So like you've already assaulted her. So she didn't start this. Her slap was in response to your violence. And then you slap her and leave. Like he, he's worse than her. Okay, she's terrible for a certain set of reasons. He is actually a disgusting human being. Yeah, yeah. The character, not the actor, okay? Morgan Stevens, I'm sure, is a very great person. But Nick Fulton, terrible. Nick Fulton, disgusting. Daphne Clover, just plain terrible. That's what we're going to do. She's terrible. He's a disgusting human being. After he walks out, we see, we see Jocelyn see this. Mind you, she did not go in to call the police. She goes back in her room, closes her door, and goes to mind her own business, which I'm like, okay, wait a second. You just saw your only child being abused. And you did. I'm not telling you to run over there because that could turn into a bad situation. I'm not saying that. But when you saw him walking away, why did you not go into your room and call the police? Because what if he came back with a weapon or something like that? Or tell your daughter to come in your room and lock the door? You know what I mean? I'm like, that's your child. Regardless of how old she is and regardless of how terrible she's been to you, to embarrassing you, you just saw this man slap your daughter. Okay, after grabbing her hair and forcing a kiss on her that she clearly did not want, and you did nothing, like actually nothing. So Jocelyn, you're on this list too as not a great person. The next thing we know, there's a knock on the French door of Jocelyn's bedroom. She opens it up and it's Nick. Why is Nick in Jocelyn's bedroom door and she lets him in. I'm side-eyeing this entire situation. So the next scene, it's the morning after the party and we're on campus and Jessica is out for a jog. She stops because there's a rock in her shoe. As she's getting back up to continue her jog, she sees uh, a hand or something. She starts to walk over to this construction area and she sees Nick's dead body. So she immediately alerts the police. The next scene, the police are on the scene. It's Chief Griffin and an officer. And that's probably the entirety of the police department. (laughs) Because honestly, I didn't see any other uniformed officer. I might have missed them, but I only saw ever, I only ever saw the chief of police, Chief Griffin, and this one uniformed officer. So Jessica is not on the scene, but there's other people who are standing around looking and there's no ID on the body and they conclude that he must have fallen out of the third story window where the construction's going on because there's some sheet or something that's out the window, which may have come with him when he fell out. The chief says to the crowd, like, who's the person who called this in? To which Jessica, who's upstairs, (laughs) says, oh, I did. Are you the police? Like, yes. It's like, okay, I'll be right down. So she comes down. She's like, she meets the chief. 
She says, yeah, I don't think he fell out of that window. There's plaster dust all over that room. And if you look at the bottom of his feet, there are there is no plaster dust. And also, based on the fact that there is no blood there, she believes that he was murdered someplace else and then carried there after the murder. So Chief Griffin is like, oh, this is going to be my first murder case. And Jessica's like, we haven't determined this is a murder. So <laughs> he's like, yeah, 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 that's cute. Um, but I'm in the middle of my criminology course. I guess it's a home study. <laughs> a correspondence course, I think is what they used to call it. And he could really use Jessica's help. And Jessica's like, uh, I do not think so. He's like, please, like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm only halfway through this course. (laughs) And it's just me. So she's like, okay, fine. She also tells him that before the police arrived, a student approached her and told her that around 2 a.m. they saw a light colored station wagon over by Dr. Laird's, Jocelyn's house. So now they have a clue and perhaps that's where the murder happened and the station wagon drove the body over to the construction site to uh, leave it there and throw off the fact that he was murdered at Dr. Laird's home. So Jessica also informs Chief Griffin that the dead person is Nick Fulton and that she had met him last night and he was a guest of Dr. Laird by way of Daphne Clover, the daughter. So the next scene, we're at Jocelyn's guest house speaking with Daphne. So it's Daphne, the chief, and Jessica. And the chief is giving her a death notification regarding Nick. Daphne says, well, Nick was there at midnight when she took her sleeping pill and went to sleep and has no idea what happened thereafter. She's not the one who killed Nick. She says she vaguely knew Nick from campus. And then she bumped into him in New York at a disco. And he moved into her townhouse a week after meeting him at that New York disco. So she's like, basically, he's a gigolo. She called him a stud. Same difference. And that the reason she returned to Crenshaw college, right, was to write. And, you know, at this point, she's like, I don't have anything to say. I didn't kill him. Get out so I can change. And the chief is like, mm, I'm not done. So Daphne's like, well, yeah, you can leave or you can stay to watch. And she starts to uh, untie her robe. And I'm like, Daphne, you are trash. But it's obvious that she is using this overt sexual tone and content to cover up how ashamed she is of herself because she didn't know this guy. He's now involved. Her mom and her are now wrapped up in a murder investigation. And this is much more than just making her mother uncomfortable and embarrassing her mother. This is really serious now. And she's just trying to deflect her shame and embarrassment by being overly sexual because this chief is too respectful to have stood there and watched her undress and called her bluff. 
somebody else might have called her bluff and like, go ahead, you know, shown everybody else your naked body. Why should I care? You know, but he didn't. He left. Jessica goes over to the main house to speak with Jocelyn. Jessica and Jocelyn are talking and Jessica tells Jocelyn that the police believe that Nick was murdered and that it was not, in fact, an accidental fall. We also find out that Jessica's speech is the next evening. So she's coming to speak at commencement and receive her honorary degree. And that's happening the next night. The next scene, we are at the Hayward, so Henry and Beryl's house. And there, both of them are there. Jessica's there, as well as Alger, Kenyon. And Alger is telling them that he had to take the late train to Boston to visit his mother the night before. So he wasn't even in town and was just finding out that Nick was murdered or is dead. Nick is dead. Right. I don't know if the whole Nick was murdered had come out yet. And Alger then says his mom's not doing well. And actually he has to leave because he needs to call her to check in. As he's leaving, Chief Griffin is coming in. We now have a time of death. It's approximately 1 a.m. And the death was caused by, long story short, blunt force trauma, not a fall. Beryl then comes through with some good hot tea and was like, I saw Ron walking across campus around 1 a.m. when I went to get water because Henry was upset about something. He was downstairs pacing and being restless. So (laughs) he's like, you ain't got to tell all my business. Like you didn't have to say anything about where I was. You could just said you went to get water and you saw him walking across campus at one o'clock in the morning. You didn't have to put all my business out there. (laughs) She's like, yeah, whatever. And that he was walking towards Jocelyn's house, right? So she's like, "Uh, did I say too much? Because now she's realizing that she has pointed the finger of conviction at Ron Mercer. But... You know, she had to be honest and she was honest. What can you do? At this point, the phone rings. Beryl picks it up and it's for Chief Griffin. He picks it up and he is talking to the person and then he's like, who is this? Who is this? Tell me who this is. Who is this? They never say. He hangs up the phone and he tells them that if this tip is founded, then they'll have the murderer of Nick Fulton, Miss Daphne Clover. My question is, how did this anonymous person know that the chief was at the Hayward's house? I originally assumed when he got that call that it was from a police officer because they would have known where he was at because I'm sure he has to let dispatch or whoever know where he's going and where he's at. So I assume that it was someone from the police department, but it's not, it's an anonymous person. So nobody thought, well, maybe they did, but, and they just didn't say it out loud, but how did this anonymous person know that the chief was at the Hayward house? So stick a pin in that. The next scene, we're back at the guest house. 
the chief has gotten a search warrant and it's him and the one uniformed officer, (laughs) the entirety of the department, apparently, and Jessica. And the chief says, the anonymous caller said we would find a blackmail note and the murder weapon. The voice appeared to be disguised. He He said the person sounded like they had a cold, so he did not recognize the caller's voice. So they find a blackmail note demanding $10,000 or they'll reveal some dirty secret, unspecified dirty secret. And they find the murder weapon, which is a candlestick. Right after finding that, Daphne comes in and is like, what are you doing here? And the chief says, we have a search warrant. And she's like, what do you think you're going to find here? It's like, ah, we already did. You're under arrest. And the look on her face when reality punched her in the throat was satisfying. I'm just going to say that because (laughs) this is not a game. This isn't just about getting your mother's goat and embarrassing her in front of her coworkers and subordinates, which is terrible. You know, the worst thing you can do, and we're about to find out why she is as terrible as I say that she is. But she is then arrested. Jessica immediately goes to the main house and finds the matching candlestick and tells Jocelyn that Daphne has just been arrested. So the next scene, we're at the precinct and they have already tested the blood and found out that it is Nick Fulton's blood. I'm like, how sway? Did y'all do that this quickly? But okay, we're going to go with this. It's a an hour show. With regards to the fingerprints that, of course, Jessica asked about, they were smudged, so they cannot be identified. Jessica then says, well, the candlesticks were both in the main house and could have been taken by anyone at the party. And there's no way that Daphne could have taken it during the party because when one it would not have fit in the pocket of the fur coat she was wearing. And two, she gave a demonstration showing that she could not have had it anywhere else uh, because she was butt naked. (laughs) Oh, that was terrible. Also, that the note was typed on a machine with a slightly bent E key. And Jessica brings up the fact that if Nick and Daphne were sharing a bed. Why would he type up a blackmail note to her? He would just, as he's been doing, demand money face to face, right? He would just made the threat to her directly because they're lovers, right? Which is a good point. So Jessica is convinced, as are, I'm sure, the rest of the audience, that the note and the weapon were planted, The chief finally agrees and says, I am going to hold off on formal charges. This doesn't mean that you're free to go and nothing may come of this. But right now, I'm going to let you go, but don't leave the area. The next scene, the chief is driving Jessica somewhere. And we find out that on Nick's record, he has two arrests for assault, but no conviction. So it sounds like perhaps they were domestic violence and the victim decided not to cooperate or to go forward 
in and they just dropped it. So it's possible that that's what happened. He doesn't seem like the type of person who would have been able to pay someone to not go forward. So I'm going to guess that it was domestic violence because as easily as he became aggressive demanding money from Daphne and was willing to hit her, I promise you it was probably domestic violence where the victim or victims, because there were two arrests for it, decided not to go forward because they were scared. So he is, uh, say it with me, disgusting person. Worse than trash. I'm going to say the trash water. Yeah, yeah. The trash water, which just seeps into stuff and stinks up everything. So yeah, that, that water that is under the dumpster, that's what Nick is. So as they're driving, <laughs> let's get back to it. So as the chief and Jessica are driving, the chief makes mention that someone who writes the, quote, scuzzy books, unquote, <laughs> that Daphne does, doesn't have the same moral code as the rest of them. So Jessica's like, chief, have you read Daphne's books? He's like, oh yeah, all of them. (laughs) Chief, chief. All right now, you out there reading these romance novels, these allegedly dirty books, Mm -hmm. scuzzy books, but you've read all of them. All right, I'm not judging you, so you shouldn't judge the author either. Anyway, so the chief is dropping Jessica off at the train station. She gets out. There's an interaction between her, the train station manager. But long story short, she finds out that the train to Boston leaves every hour on the hour until 8.15 p.m. And Jessica pulls out the written schedule that they have sitting right there and says, but this says, and before she can finish her sentence, the train station manager is like, uh-huh, that was changed two weeks ago. She was like, okay, thank you. And he's like, oh, would you like to check your baggage along? She's like, mm, it would probably be quicker for me to carry it myself. Thank you for not well, no, he was somewhat helpful, but wasted a lot of time to be the amount of helpful he was. So we'll say that. As Jessica is now walking back to the college, uh, Trish Mercer pulls up in a light colored station wagon and offers Jessica a ride. Jessica gets in. There's some discussion. The most important things we learn from this interaction is that Trish had an affair with Nick. So a few years ago, Nick was a student there on an athletic scholarship and he was going to Ron's house to be tutored by Ron. And at some point he started coming to the house when Ron was not there. And clearly one thing led to another and they had an affair. We don't know anybody's age, but if Ron was a student on an athletic scholarship at the time, we can assume that he was probably like 18, right? So if that was a couple of years ago, let's say he's, he's an adult. Like he, he, let's say he's in his twenties. Granted, he looks like he's 
35 and may have done porn back in the 70s. I'm just saying that mustache is really just a mess. Anyway, (laughs) let's assume he's in his 20s as well as Daphne. And that's being generous, let's say. How old are Trish and Ron? Because he's in his 20s. Were you in your 30s? Were you in your late 20s? Should we be concerned that you were having a sexual relationship with a student? Although you were both adults, there's a difference between being illegal and just being creepy. Ron was seen walking towards Jocelyn's house in the middle of the night. And that later, a light-colored station wagon, which fits the description of their station wagon, was seen at Jocelyn's house. And Trisha then starts to cry and say that she believes that Ron was seeing somebody else. Now, we're just going to take one step to the left and think about the hypocrisy of this situation. She is upset and crying because she believes her husband is cheating on her, specifically with Jocelyn, right? So that he can get a better job, so that he can get that assistant head of the English department position. But you had an affair with a student, which could have resulted in him losing his job. So you should not cheat. He actually, I don't think he actually slept with Jocelyn, but you actually slept with Nick. So you can save those tears for your therapist because you get no sympathy from me after you had a whole affair with a student that your husband was tutoring, okay? Now you're distraught at the fact that he may be sleeping with someone else, specifically Jocelyn, for the sole purpose of getting a better position at the university so he can support you. That's wrong. But what you did is wronger because you actually had sex with him. Girl, what? Save those tears. Anyway, (laughs) okay. The next scene, we're at Jocelyn's house and Jessica and Jocelyn are talking and Jessica clumsily attempts to find out if her typewriter, Jocelyn's, has a bent E. And I'm like, Jessica, you're usually much smoother than this. This seems like a first season move on your part. But Jocelyn immediately sees through it and addresses it. And so they handle it. You know, it it wasn't a big to do. It wasn't a big scene. She calls Jessica out. Jessica's like, yeah, that, that was pretty dumb, but okay, whatever. So what's going on? So then Jessica gets to the point that she believes that Jocelyn is the one who's been writing the Daphne Clover books because Daphne can barely tell the difference between red and green, but the imagery in the books were so vivid and the comparison to great artwork is just far beyond what Daphne could do. Also, she said she had come to Crenshaw to write. 
but there was no writing supply in her guest house at all. So Jocelyn admits that she is, in fact, the person who's been writing those books because her actual academic literary work was not paying the bills. And she found out how profitable it would be to write a romance novel or a trashy novel, whichever. Because there is a difference between romance and erotica. So we don't know where on that scale these books fall, but Jocelyn called them trashy. But I'm like, I don't think that Jessica will be reading trashy books. But (laughs) who knows? Maybe. Guilty pleasure. And if they're well-written, I guess she's like, oh, okay, fine. Jessica susses out that Nick found out that Jocelyn was actually the real author. And Jocelyn admits he did and he started to demand money. So he was blackmailing both Jocelyn and Daphne. So he's getting money out of both of them. And that that night after he got into an argument with, well, a fight, not even a fight, after he assaulted Daphne, he then comes over to Jocelyn's room demanding money. And she says he, she didn't say he got violent. Did she? I think she said he attacked her. And so she hit him in self-defense. Jessica's not buying it. And neither am I, because if he was in your room, how did you get the candlestick out of the living room and come back and hit him? Or did you make your way to the living room with him and he attacked you there and then hit him with the candlestick? It doesn't make sense if he was hit with the candlestick, which he was, because they found it had blood spatter on it that was Nick's. So if he was hit with a, a tray that was in your room and there's tea spilt everywhere because you were having a cup of tea before you went to bed and you picked that up and hit him with it, that would support a self-defense argument, but not how she set it up. And Jessica clearly knows that. You can see in her face that she's not buying it, but she keeps a straight enough face not to let Jocelyn know that she doesn't believe the story that Jocelyn's telling. So the next scene, we're at the precinct. Jessica does go with Jocelyn to walk her through this. They type up the statement. Daphne busts in and says, don't sign that. Daphne then confesses and says, she's just covering for me. I'm the one who killed Nick. We find out that Daphne says he attacked me and then I hit him. But again, how did you get the candlestick? And we did see him attack her. He actually did assault her. So again, had she hit him with the lamp that was there in the room or something that was in the guest house, that would support a self-defense claim. Because I'm sure he probably did grab Jocelyn and get aggressive with her before all this panned out and he ended up dead. I'm sure he did. He seems like the type of disgusting person who would do that. So they each had valid reasons for actually defending themselves, but that's not what happened because the instrument used to murder him 
would not have been easily accessible to them. So the next scene, we're at the Hayward's house and it is the day of the commencement. So it's about an hour before the commencement ceremony where Jessica has to give her speech. And Beryl is like, oh, I forgot to give you this letter from Alger. He dropped it off. Uh, Henry doesn't have his glasses. He asks Jessica, who has her reading glasses on, to read it. Alger is resigning. And Henry's like, why is he resigning? I don't understand. Beryl's like, Henry, don't be dense. Alger is in love with Jocelyn. And he's resigning because she gave the job to Ron Mercer. And Henry's like, Wait, she gave the job to the assistant head of the English department job to Ron Mercer, to which Beryl was like, oh, yeah, he called. Oh, yeah, Jocelyn called yesterday. I didn't tell you. My bad. Now, Beryl, I'm going to need you to remember to give your husband these important messages if you're going to be answering the phone. I'm going to need you to write it down and just put it uh, by his chair or on his pillow or something so that he can get these important messages. He's the president of the university. I think it's important that he find out that when they're trying to make a decision on who's the assist, the new assistant head of a department, that when the actual head of the department calls, he needs that message. So Beryl, girl, get it together. Get it together. So... <laughs> Jessica's like, yeah, Henry, I don't know how you missed that because even I caught that and I've only been here for literally 36 hours. So, (laughs) but it's like, Henry's not, he's not observing how people interact or any of that. So I'll, I'll give him some grace. So Jessica asked Henry how much time they have. And he says, I believe it was an hour. She's like, okay, and can I borrow your bike? He's like, okay fine. So she takes off. And now I don't know, I'm guessing that this is Ron and Trish's house that Jessica goes to, but Ron, Trish, and Alger are there. Now, Alger is not in his um, cap and gown, right? However, Ron is. Jessica is as well. So... We find out from Ron, because Jessica's like, let's get to the point, okay? I have a speech to make, and I'm like, doesn't Ron also have to be at this graduation? So let's get this show on the road. We find out from Ron that he went to see Jocelyn in the middle of the night to make a pitch for the assistant head of the English department position. Alger is making some noise. And Trish is like, why would you go there at that time of night? Alger's like, that's indecent. Uh, correct, sir. Ron says it was Jocelyn who invited him back after the party, right? She wanted it this way. That when he got there, Nick was already dead and Jocelyn promised him Ron, the job if he helped move the body, which Ron did. After he says that, he turns to Trish and says, making love to Jocelyn 
was not something I wanted to do, but it's what I needed to do to get the job. Now, I don't know if they had sex before, but they definitely didn't have sex on that night because when he got there, he had to move that body. So unless he's saying he moved that body and then went back there and had sex with her, but she had already promised him the job, so there wouldn't be a need for that. So I'm confused. But unless he's saying that he was prepared to have sex with her that night and he knew that's what she was expecting and he was willing to do that in order to get that position. So I'm thinking maybe that's what he meant when he's like, yeah, I was going there at that time of night at her request and I was fully prepared to have sex with her in order to get this job. So I could understand Trish as a wife being upset, but dude, you had an affair with his student. Point blank, period. Yet again, save those tears for your therapist because you get no sympathy from me. Now, Ron, screw you very much because you had a job and you weren't about to lose the job. So you could have kept your business in your pants, but, and let Alger go ahead and get that position like he was supposed to. You were so dedicated to not having to publish that you're willing to break your marital vows and sleep with this woman just to get this job the, you know, by going over the back fence. Come on now. Come on now. Like, it, that job is not even worth it, but maybe he was more willing to do that because his wife had had an affair already and this was his get back. After Ron says this, Alger, who is just like pissed beyond measure, says, that's a lie. She'd never take you into her bed. You know, we we were close. We were close friends, you know, never anything physical, but our love didn't need anything like that. Which I'm like, uh, you were hoping, you were praying every night that it could turn physical. I promise you. Because the way you said, oh, our love didn't need that. Like, mm-hmm, that's a lie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway, Jessica brings up the fact that Alger could not have gone to Boston to see his ailing mother because the last train left hours before the party even ended. So Alger's like, yeah, okay, so I didn't go to Boston, but that doesn't mean that I killed Nick. And Jessica says, no, in fact, you did. You're the person who wrote the blackmail letter because it had the same defective E as was on your resignation letter. So at this Alger breaks down and Jessica asks, well, why did you frame Daphne? And he said, one, this was all Daphne's fault. She brought that guy back here into Jocelyn's life and ruined everything. Two, he didn't want Jocelyn to be blamed for it. So that's why he had to frame Daphne. Alger then lays out what happened. He said that he went back after the party to spend time with Jocelyn and cheer her up after the debacle caused by Daphne and Nick. 
when he got there, she had given him a key and it was probably a spare key. Like if I forget my key or lock myself out, I can go and get the spare key from you. Not for you to just let yourself in in the middle of the night, weirdo. And and so he uses his own key to get in. Why she doesn't have a security alarm and she is a single woman okay, there's no town that is so safe that you couldn't use a security system. And she got money, money. So come on now, Jocelyn. Anyway, so he heard voices arguing in Jocelyn's bedroom. So he goes, he grabs the candlestick off of the mantle and starts walking towards Jocelyn's bedroom. He sees that she's arguing with Nick and that Nick is touching her. Like he's touching her face, I believe it is. And so Alger is getting more and more upset because he doesn't get those privileges to touch her. But this disgusting person is in her bedroom and, you know, touching her arm and her face. So... Jocelyn then says something about having to get her checkbook and she runs out of the room. Nick goes to the French doors and he's standing looking out, I guess, to see if Daphne's around, if she's seeing any of this or whatever. Alger then creeps up behind him and hits him in the head with the candlestick, of course, killing him immediately because, of course, that's how it works on TV. And then Alger runs out of the French doors. So when Jocelyn comes back, she sees the French doors are open and Nick is dead on the carpet. She assumed it was Daphne who had done it. And Daphne assumed that Jocelyn had done it because they both recognized the candlestick as being from the main house on the mantel. And they both confessed because they wanted to protect the other one who they believed had done it. So Alger has now admitted to murdering Nick. And what we find out is, so when Jocelyn came back in and saw the dead body, Ron was already scheduled to come over, I believe. And so when he got there, instead of having sex, she asked him to move the body and she promised that he would get the job of the assistant head of the English department if he moved the body. So he went back home, brought the station wagon, loaded the body, went to the construction site, pulled, carried the guy up to the third floor and tossed him out the window. So yeah, he's an accessory after the fact. Like he, honestly, he probably would have been arrested as well. So let's not pretend uh, as well as Jocelyn, who tried to cover up a murder, uh, she would have been arrested too in the real world. But the only person who looks like they're going down for this is Alger, which rightfully so, he should go down for it. Jessica then picks up the phone, calls Chief Griffin, tells him to basically to come get Alger. He's ready to to give a statement with regard to the Nick Fulton killing. And that she's not going to be there when he gets there. She looks at her watch and is like, oh my God, I'm late. Goes outside, hops on Henry Hayward's bike 
and rides off towards the ceremony in full mortarboard and robe and high heel shoes. And you got to love it. You got to love it. With the tassel flying a little bit in the wind. (laughs) That's how we end with Jessica having saved the day and off to her next major responsibility. So I'll say for this episode, it was a decent episode. There, There was definitely some moral questions in this episode, more so than some other episodes throughout the series. I I didn't like a lot of people. <laughs> Ron wasn't great because he was ready to sleep with Jocelyn for a job. Trish wasn't great. She slept with a student of her husband's. Beryl, I liked her the best, but she did not give her husband those messages timely. <laughs> Which moved the plot along, though. You know, for those purposes, it was great. But she... (laughs) Personally, I liked her the best. Personally, I liked her the best. Um, Henry was fine. Actually, Henry was fine. I have no problems with him at all. Um, Alger was a creep. He was definitely a creep. Then we have Daphne. A terrible, terrible person. However, did not deserve to be abused. Blackmailed? Eh, I'm on the fence, but definitely not physically assaulted at all. That that was beyond. Jocelyn uh yeah, she I don't know. I'm on the fence about her because I understand why she wrote the books. I'm not mad about that. You know, make your money, girl. But she Actually, going back to Daphne, now that I'm thinking about it, right, one of the reasons that she's even worse of a person, not worse than Nick, not worse than Nick, but the reason that she is a terrible person is your mother is the reason that you are extremely wealthy and well-known because she's the one who's actually writing the novels at any point, she could say, you know what? I don't even care if people know I write these books. I'm not writing another book under her name. She's not getting another dollar off of my work. At any point, she could have had a change of heart and said that. But Daphne was betting on the fact that the embarrassment and shame that her mother would have felt exposing herself as the author of these quote-unquote trash novels was so strong that Daphne could treat her any old type of way and know that she was still going to produce books. Because if she didn't, Daphne had that over her head, I'll just reveal that you're the one writing these books. So you can't stop writing them under my name or I'm going to expose you. And you're not going to expose yourself because you're too well respected in academia to admit to doing that. So Daphne's exploiting her mother's concern and weakness and treating her like trash in public. And her mom just has to take it 
when the only reason she has the lifestyle she has is because her mom is writing the books and putting her name and face on it. She would have been better off getting a stranger to do it instead of her ungrateful, terrible daughter. So it it makes Daphne that much worse that you're not just doing this to embarrass your mother, but you know that she is the only reason anybody knows you and that you have a dollar to your name. The only reason. And you're going to treat her like this. Now, I don't know how your childhood was that you feel like this is okay, but you're terrible. You're extra, extra terrible. Then we have Police Chief Griffin. I did like him because he respected Jessica. He asked for her help and he actually listened to her. When she did come with reasonable doubt, he listened and he acted on that. So I have respect for him. He knew he needed help. He knew Jessica's reputation and he respected what she said. So I I definitely have to say Henry's the one who's bestowing the honorary degree on Jessica and he was unproblematic. Police Chief Griffin gets a step above him because he actually asked for and adhered to the advice Jessica gave him. So he, police chief Griffin is on top. Then we have Henry Hayward for not being problematic. Then I'll have to go with Beryl Hayward because I liked her personality. I just, I liked her dynamic with Henry. (laughs) I did. I just didn't like that she wasn't giving him his messages timely, but she has some good tea. So because of that, She is higher on the list. (laughs) She's on the plus side, not the negative side. Now on the negative side, we have Trish. She's on the top of the negative people. Then it'll have to be Ron as a close second to her because she actually had sex with Nick as opposed to Ron who was ready to have sex with Jocelyn. Then it would have to be Daphne Clover. And last and definitely least would be Nick Fulton. So there we go. That's the ranking of characters for this episode. Anyway, so that's that on that. Another good episode. I won't say a great episode, but definitely watchable. There were some difficult parts, specifically the domestic violence, But other than that, oh, and Nick's terrible mustache. Let's not forget that. Let's try to forget it because it was terrible. But (laughs) yeah, let's try to forget it because it was terrible. Definitely a watchable episode. It's not on my DVR, but if it comes on, I might catch it. Maybe not. But it's definitely not in the bottom two for this season, for sure. Next week, we will be talking about Sing a Song of Murder. And we will get to see Angela Lansbury as Jessica Fletcher and her cousin, Emma McGill. I am super excited. It's 
it's a great episode to see her play both parts. There is an episode later on where she is Emma the entire time. So um, that's also a good one. So this one is another good episode. And it's also Angela Lansbury singing. Yes. So I'm looking forward to that episode. I will see you for that episode next week, Sunday at 5 p.m. Or you know what we're going to say. The Fletcher Files pod on Patreon where you can get early access to that episode as well as a Martha's Vineyard Mystery Movies 1, A Beautiful Place to Die, Movie 2, Riddled with Deceit. And next month we will have Movie 3, Ships in the Night. So you can go over there for that. I will also be putting up Part two of the Hallmark Movies and Mysteries Mystery Series <laughs> overview for the Chronicle Mysteries as well as the Crossword Mysteries, both of which have new movies that came out in 2021. And the week after that, I will be doing a review of the third Murder She Wrote Mystery Book Series books, Rum and razors. So you can find that and all my previous content on the Fletcher Files pod on Patreon. But if you enjoy the free podcast, do me two favors. One, if you're not already subscribed, subscribe. What are you waiting on? Two, go ahead and give me a five-star review. Thank you. And I will see you next week. But until then, have an amazing week. Bye.